Um, so today I'm hoping uh, to do two things uh, during the Sunday school. This is actually a bonus class. I don't know if you had noticed, but it, originally we had planned to end last week and uh, start a different series, uh, but for a number of reasons... Uh, uh, we ended up not doing that, which gave us an extra week in this class. Um, and uh, remind me at the end to make sure you know what's coming up. Uh, but I figure it'd be worth waiting until the end, and maybe a few more people will be here to know. Uh, but that's. Uh, um, but we have some really we have some really good stuff going on. So, um, so what I'm hoping to do today is to actually pick up and try to take Peter's uh, Sunday School class from last week into a little bit more discussion about uh, application and actually try it. So I want to look at three passages really briefly and then talk about what does it look like. And then I want to just, if you guys have been a part of this class for the last five weeks and if you have questions about things we've been teaching about, obviously the overall if you haven't been coming, the overall plan or the overall topic that we've been looking at is the beauty of the body. Um, and what we've meant by that is trying to get a glimpse into how the New Testament thinks about our lives communally rather than individually. Um, and so we've looked at the significance of how uh, in our salvation we're not just called individually to know God, but we are called into a body, into a family, into a community uh, of the people of God and how that shapes our identity. And then we looked at uh, various dynamics of how uh, being a part of the, the body of Christ is meant for us to be uh, growing and we should expect to grow because we are with one another and not just individually. Um, we should expect to grow as we serve one another. Pastor Greg talked about how do we live out our uh, the one another's and seek to find our spiritual gifts to serve and to to give to one another. We talked about how um, uh, how discipleship and expecting relationships to be a part of our growth should be a part of it. We talked a little bit about the role of correction and discipline in spiritual growth and how that's a communal activity. Uh, it, it obviously can be a one-on-one activity, but ultimately it's a communal activity. Um, that when we become members of the body of Christ, we become accountable. Um, and that's a blessing to us, that we have others who care about us and, and love us. And then, uh, as, as Peter wanted to explore last week, and I think he spent the bulk of the time talking about the significance of being a part of the, being a member of, of the church. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, Maybe we didn't spend as much time as uh, I had hoped, and now we have extra time to do it, talking about evangelism, talking about how is it that uh, we as a body um, are meant to live out the call that God has given us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 to make disciples of all nations. Mr. Smith has a question. I thought Peter was very clear last week on this application. Yes. Do something. Yes. Amen. Absolutely. We maybe could use a little bit more detail. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I, I actually want to, I, I, I've, I've broken it down. I'm, I'm hoping that we'll be able to uh, look at a few, a few um, passages really quickly just to lay down brief principles and then look at two different contexts or arenas wherein our communal life is a part of 
our uh, outreach uh, to others in in our community. So that's what we're going to do. Let me pray, and then we'll get started, okay? Lord, thank you for this morning, and thank you for the snow, and for the beauty of it, and for, Lord, the reminder uh, that uh, the work that you have done for us in Jesus has washed uh, your children white as snow, that you have cleansed us from our sin, and the beauty of the morning like this reminds us of the beauty of our forgiveness uh, that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray today that as we um, talk together about your word, as we think about the mission you've called us to as a church, Lord, as we worship together later, uh, Lord, that you will bless us and that you will be with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, if you have Bibles or on your phone or whatever, um, I'd like to get three people just to help me read three different passages. Um, if you're ready to do that, give me a high sign. Laura, can you look at John thirteen thirty one? Someone else? Daniel, can you look at John seventeen twenty? And what Laura, can you look at First Thessalonians one eight? Um, and as I said, um, uh, what we're going to focus in on this morning is how is it that being called to be a part of the community connects with, I think we often think about sharing our faith as being an individual enter- enterprise. I have to have a conversation with this person. And there's something that's very real about that and very true, and that's a good thing to think about. But I want to focus on the c- corporate aspects of outreach. So... Um, Laura, let's, Laura, not Laura, Laura, let's start with John 13, 31, um, and uh, read nice and loud so everyone can hear. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Uh, Oh, keep going to 35. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children... Yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. All right. For all of us who grew up early enough to know the old... They will know we are Christians by, uh, right? This is where it comes from, right? It's in the Bible. Um, that, uh, um, and obviously, th- this is such a rich passage. Jesus is, uh, um, has, this is the turning point in the book of John, well, whereby Jesus has been going through and saying, my hour's not yet come, my hour's not yet come, and now he says, now the hour has come. And he's talking about his crucifixion and his resurrection. But in the context of that and talking about the display of his glory and his relationship with the Father, he then turns to his disciples and the thing that he says to them is, I give you a new commandment to love one another. And by this, the world will know. By this, all people will know that you are followers of me. Now, some of that is an identity thing. It's a, it's a recognition. Oh, those people follow Jesus. That's why they do what it is. Um, but if you've ever wondered about why in 1 Peter 3, P- Peter tells the, the, the Christians there to be ready to give an answer uh, 
for the hope that they for the hope that they live in. Um, I think it's connected to this. There's meant to be a characteristic or a quality in our lives that is distinctive in such a way that as the those who don't know God look at us, they go, huh. I don't know what that is, but it's really interesting. I think. I'm not even sure. Maybe it's scary. But whatever it is, it's different. And I'm and and there's something about it, there's a distinctiveness that comes out of it. Um, and it's it's so striking to me that what of all the things that Jesus could have said for his people to be characterized by, to be the badges, so to speak, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Being loving to one another is the most important one. Good. So that's principle number one. The power of love. Huey Lewis. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Just had to put it in there. All right. Um, Secondly, John uh, 17. Can you read that, Daniel? Uh, 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who have believed in me and their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Okay. Whew. We're getting into like, we don't have time to get into the depths of the theology of this. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer for believers, um, and it's a beautiful prayer. And in this part in particular, if you notice, twice he said that the world may know. Right? And remember that in John, the world isn't just people. The world is actually the, the world systems that are set up in, in opposition uh, to, to God and to his rule and reign in the world and so uh, on this earth. And so the world is actually a, a, the enemy, so to speak, of God, not just sort of a, a neutral term as we saw in John 13. And, uh, and, so he, and what he's focusing on here actually is unity. Right? He's talking about the unity of the community, and the unity of the community flows from the reality of God and our communion with God. Do you see that? I and you, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be perfectly one. Um, verse 23, right? Um, that there's a sense in which the unity, and, and I will just say it, like this is part of what I, when I brag about our church, um, one of the things that I brag about is that you walk into our church, and I think you would see a group of people who would never congregate any in any other place for any other reason. Um, and what we what we see, and thankfully in our church we see this in a beautiful way. Um, we live in a diverse city, and we have a diverse church, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, and I think it's one of the special things that God has given us as a church, as a means of doing this in a in a in a wonderful way. And so. Um, but recognizing that if the power of love for one another is one of the things that the scriptures point to as a part of our witness in the world, the power of unity is another one. Now, just to remind you that we talked about correction and discipline two weeks ago, 
And unity is not unity at all costs. Unity is not the end goal. It is God and his kingdom that are the, <laughs> that are the end goal. And therefore, there are appropriate times for conflict um, when there is straying. And there's a lot of church history recognizing how difficult it's been to actually determine when unity is worth fighting for and when purity or uh, holiness or doctrinal correctness has been worth fighting for. Um, But for what we're talking about today, I just simply want to say, so if one of the characteristics is love, the second one is unity. And that Jesus explicitly says, this is the markers by which the world will know God. All right. Lara, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 10. Uh, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell, they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Okay. Again, so much in this passage that I'm completely ignoring. Um, but, but the interesting thing here that I want you to see is that it says your... Uh, the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. Your faith has gone forth everywhere. What does that mean? Well, I think what it means, as you keep reading in verses 9 and 10, is that the power of the gospel transforming their lives, individually and corporately, to turn from cultural likeness, sameness, to countercultural, turning from, the God, from idols to serve the true and living God, um, that that transformation and that clarity of a countercultural community um, has had this amplifying effect whereby the things that they have believed is, is being, is resounding in this, in this you know, uh, reverberation um, throughout the area um, that they've heard of these people who used to live one way and now they live another way. Um, and, uh, you know, it makes me think of the Samaritan woman, you know, as Jesus has his encounter with her and points her to a hope that she's not known before, points her to water to drink that she's never had before, points her to a worship that she's never known before. At the end of it, such a striking thing. She runs back to the village, and you know what she says? Not, hey, here's a man who showed me grace and accepted me when the rest of you were just a bunch of jerks. Uh, she didn't say, I'm an, I'm an outcast, and, down, and, now, and now, she, now I've been accepted. What did she say? Come see a man who told me everything that I did. Isn't it striking? Right? Now, all those other things were true about how Jesus taught her, but when she went back... The thing that she said is, my sin has been exposed, and now I'm not afraid of it anymore. How countercultural is that? How beautiful is that? And that's what she trumpeted. Anyway, it's just a little, it strikes me as as an interesting example. So, love, unity, and countercultural living. And I want to say countercultural, I mean that 
Every time we engage with culture, in every culture, there are some places where there's resonance of the gospel and there are some places where there's resistance to the gospel. So countercultural in and of itself is not a distinctively Christian thing. What we need to recognize is that um, we ought to be different. And I think that in our moment in American history and American church history, we have lived for quite a long time believing that you can be a faithful follower of Jesus and not really have to stand out a lot from the culture that we live in. That there's been enough resonance that it has not, or at least we've come to believe that that might be so. Um, And I think that day is closing. It might not. The Lord may revive our country. The Lord may work in wonderful ways. Uh, but I think that for us to be wise, we ought to be prepared. And as we're thinking about witness then, recognize that this is a beautiful opportunity. So what I want to think about then in practice for the next 15 or 20 minutes is what does this look like and how does it work? And I want to think about two contexts. One of the contexts in which we live out our corporate life in a way that is accessible and, and uh, meaningful to other people is when we gather for corporate worship. So when we come together on Sunday mornings, right, we, we as a leadership, we as a church, I hope, have an expectation that there are people there who don't know Jesus yet. There are people there who are, who are there because they want to know Jesus because, or because they're being drawn by in whatever way they've been invited by a friend but as they come into the corporate worship service, there should be things in the corporate worship service that help them display and understand the gospel more. So that as they come and see our corporate worship, evangelism is going on. Okay? The second context, that's the church gathered. The second context is the church scattered. Um, And this is where, again, I think we tend to have a very individualistic viewpoint where, okay, when we scatter, we scatter atomistically and we just live. But what I I want us to think about is where or how might there be places or platforms uh, whereby our corporate life can happen, not here as we gather on Sundays, but corporate life out in and among our everyday life can be significant in displaying the power of love, unity, and countercultural living um, to those around us who don't know Christ. So that is the question that I want. Those are the things that I want to explore. So let's start with corporate worship. In what ways do you see in our corporate worship there are things that happen that might be displaying, that might be meaningful to someone who doesn't yet know Christ um, for them to come to understand the gospel more clearly. Daniel. Prayer confession. The prayer confession. Why do you say that? Somebody who doesn't know God yet probably doesn't know that they're a sinner who will save God. Okay. So that prayer confession, that corporate prayer is uh, probably the first time they'll see God. I had no idea that I was a part of this mass defection away from God. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Yes, Matt Smith. I I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because in, 
in our culture, you know, I'm okay, you're okay, you know, mm-hmm. nobody can say mm-hmm. that is wrong, except, of course, we know those hypocrites. <laughs> Christians are wrong. They think they're better than everybody else. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, so that confesses, at least, that we have the opposite opinion of ourselves. Yep. Yep. No, I think that's right. A prayer confession is one of the things we're very intentional about because we want it to we want us to recognize the reality and the power of sin uh, and our need for our salvation. This is true as an unbeliever. It is true as a believer for us to increasingly take hold of the gospel because as we take hold of the gospel in increasing matter as we take hold of what God has done for us in Christ this then breaks the power of sin in our lives and allows us to pursue the holy living that we're called to live. Um, but we do so not, not in a self-reliant and self-righteous way, but we do it uh, in the mode of grace, recognizing that all of this is not because we deserve it, but in fact only because we don't, uh, that God can do this. So, yeah. Other thoughts about Tyler? Here on the John 17 passage, the, the unity that exists amongst the diversity of people in the church. Yeah. So you yeah. see an older man talking to a young African American, Yale educated. There's nothing in common between them that would signal that there's something different going on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Yeah. I think related to that is just the, the variety you can see on the platform. Mm hmm. And that it's it's not just like the white men who do this, you know. Um, yep, yep, yep. And I will just say that that's something we work hard at. I don't know if we do it perfectly, um, and uh, but it is something that we work hard at. Not in a, and again, the challenge is to do it not in a sort of affirmative action sense, right? If I were in. Uh, northern Vermont, and I lived in a white town, I'd have a white church, right? There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, but what, 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 we, what I would say is that ideally a church, there, there are different ways to think about it. I want to be careful not to throw stones too hard. But uh, there are some churches that might think the best way to reach a community is to reach inside of it, right? And look, we recognize we're not reaching the African-American community in New Haven in the same way that, say, um, <clears throat> Christian Tabernacle over in Newhall Villas. They're doing exactly what they should be doing, and we can never replicate what they're doing. And so, uh, and their community is mostly African-American, uh, and, that's, and it reflects the neighborhood that they're in. So it's a good thing. But what I want to say is that, part again, this is part of the way in which I see there's a broader unity. This is why I'm really encouraged by Bridges of Hope. The broader unity of evangelical churches in the city and the fact that we're talking to one another and thinking about how to work together. You know, if you uh, get a chance to be around this summer during I Heart New Haven to see people from all the churches come together, it's a pretty cool thing. It's pretty amazing. And you realize, wow, the church is a lot bigger here than I thought. And it's a lot more diverse. Um, and, uh, and one of the things you realize is it's a lot less white than maybe you, you might think uh, in New Haven. And that's a good thing. Um, and so, but yes, we work, we work hard to, make, to, to have those up front reflect the diversity of our, of our congregation, is how I would say it. So. 
Other thoughts. Yeah. Um, we do communion. Mm-hmm. It's always a, um, a distinction made between this is a meal for members of the family of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. But if you are not or don't think you are in that family, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. And here's what you can do in that time. Here's an invitation on how you get to be part of that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, to sort of make that distinction is, um, is really important. Yeah, no, I think it is. And, and we're intentional about that. It's, you know, one of the things that we work on um, as we're doing that is, is recognizing... You know, and this is true in other parts of the service too. Part of what we want to do is strike a balance. There was at the t- at at one time in the eighties, if you remember the eighties and Willow Creek, and there was a whole movement to make church about reaching unchurched people. And in doing that, they moved the focus of the of of a corporate gathering um, to be really primarily evangelism and nothing else. Um, and uh, I will say I think it was a overreaction. Uh, it was it had a good heart, um, but it was an overreaction. I think as we think about corporate worship here, we believe that we are called to gather to worship God and to sit under the preaching of His Word, and that's that primarily is what we do as we gather together. But what we want to be is not seeker oriented. But we do want to be seeker-sensitive uh, in, in a way of, of saying, hey, we want to acknowledge you're here. We want to acknowledge We want to expect that there are unbelievers in, uh, in the church gathering, that there are people who are still who are seeking God, who are understanding. And, and we also always want to rec- understand that there are some people who have always grown up in church and yet don't actually know the gospel. And, and so we want to recognize these dynamics and acknowledge them in a hopes of giving space, like, hey, we know you're here. Like when we do communions, like, hey, we know you're here. Don't take this, but that's okay. That's, we're not saying that's a bad thing. Don't feel some peer pressure to do this because everyone else is. Um, do this because it's meaningful. And, and hey, if, if it's not meaningful for you in this way yet, then that's okay. Uh, that's the hope behind it. You know, you can give us feedback if we're not doing it very well. Uh, but that's a part of it. Any other thoughts about corporate worship? Yeah. Baptism, the public baptisms are mm-hmm. powerful mm-hmm. as well as even encouragement and Yeah. That's probably, for me, that's one of the most powerful things. Yeah. Yeah. Being a Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but it's true, right? to regularly practice as a part of our church. And in both of them, there's this beautiful display of the gospel and this beautiful clarity of what God has done for us in Christ as it's lived out in individual lives. You know, the baptism testimonies are some of the most powerful things we have. And so, absolutely, yeah, it's a wonderful thing. All right, so at the risk of, like, we're on the risk of becoming Episcopalians here. Um, so hopefully the preaching of God's word is also <laughs> a meaningful, <laughs> meaningful part of our outreach. Uh, and, and again, this is something where we'd love, uh, I will speak on behalf of the pastors who preach, we would love to hear feedback as to how, how successful we're, we're being in, uh, in recognizing the breadth of who is there. Um, 
uh, and uh, speaking to different ones uh, during the sermon as we think about application and that sort of thing. Um, I will say that fundamentally, this is fundamentally one of the things that we talk about regularly is that um, in every passage there is a fallen condition exposed and there is a, and there is a pointing to the redemptive work of Christ. Um, and if you want to think about this, you can take notes for the next three months and tell us how well we're doing on, are we, are you seeing what, what is the fallen condition? What is the sin condition that this passage exposes in our lives or displays in our lives? And then how is it that this passage points us to the redemptive work of Christ? Um, and along the way, hopefully we're going to do a lot of other teaching about ethics and about the character of God, about all sorts of things. But, but there should be this subtext of that's going to be a regular part of what you're going to hear from the pulpit. Um, and so, um, so just so you know, that's a part of our intentionality. Uh, and, uh, you know, every once in a while, one of us will get up there and say, all right, it's family Sunday. The, what our topic is, is really in-house. And if you're here and you're visiting, we hope you'll see like what God has called his church to be. Um, but they're probably not for you, you know, in that, I mean, we're not that blunt, but we, uh, but it's every once in a while I feel like you know, there's I don't yeah I just have to start with that <laughs> to say hey we know you're here and we're glad you're here um, this isn't going to be quite for you but don't be turned off by that so that's the hope um, so all right I want to turn a corner and start thinking about um, um, oh can I just say one one other thing um, about it singing. Uh, we live in a culture today that doesn't gather to sing. It used to be tr- more true in American culture, I think. People would have various ways of just gathering and singing. It doesn't happen anymore. And we just take it for granted. We just take for granted, oh, hymns, oh, yeah, we're singing again, okay. Um, but really, it's a distinctive thing that the church does. Um, Can I just say something? And, yeah. So um, I was having a conversation a couple of years ago, but with my mother and my aunt, who are not believers, um, and they were talking about how we people don't sing anymore, and they mm-hmm, grew up mm-hmm, in that mm-hmm. culture that sang a lot, um, and they knew a lot of the, all the same songs in that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. certain generation, and um, they were talking about, you know, we don't do that enough, and nobody does that, and then they like looked at me and goes, oh, in church, I guess you sing. I'm like, yeah, we sing. <laughs> and it was something, yeah. it was countercultural mm-hmm. and attractive mm-hmm. um, Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Mark. Sorry. So Please oh, jump in. This is going to be separate from singing. Jump in. Okay. Um, but I think also for ways that display God's grace and God's glory in corporate worship is also just the relationships that are built. Mm-hmm. It's really encouraging. I've heard many people at Trinity say, like, their first time just people come up and talk to them and introduce themselves. And I don't know, that reflection of. Um, that God desires to know people um, where they are, where they're coming from, um, pray with them. Um, and so, I don't know, it's at the end of service or sometimes we used to do it in the middle with that opportunity yeah, to yeah. turn and meet someone, um, mm-hmm, not just mm-hmm. in our own worlds. Yeah. It's hard for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, I wrote down a list of things that ruin our corporate worship and corporate witness. Formalism and routine, when it becomes rote rather than meaningful. 
uh, performance and self-exaltation, when those up front are making it about them, it pretty much ruins <laughs> ruins it for the, the witness of the glory of God <laughs> is lost. Um, I think one of them, and maybe this is what uh, this uh, I thought of this because it was tying to what you were saying, Laura, is um, I think that we can, it's very easy for us today to fall into an audience uh, attitude. I'm here to get what I want as long as you're giving me good enough that it's worth me coming. Um, and uh, obviously, you guys, you're sitting here in Sunday school, it's not you who are doing that, right? Uh, but <laughs> but recognize, recognize that this is a cultural pattern and it's a danger uh, for it's a it's a danger for churches, um, and it's a danger for churches to run after trying to please people in these ways, rather than saying no, this is who we are, and we gather because there's something worth gathering around, which is God Himself, um, and so uh, so just recognizing that those are some of the barriers. So I want to move on because I think the other part is is equally as important, and I wonder I I just would love to hear your thoughts because I see what happens. In, around here a lot more than I see what happens out there. But as we are a dispersed community, thinking about how our communal life has impact on, uh, on others, um, you know, you think of the, the constant command, right? Loving your neighbor. Like, what does that look like? And how, how is that not just an individual? Is, is there a corporate aspect to that? Um, how do we live counterculturally without being weird? Um, you know, uh, let's not pursue weirdness. We think that's not a good goal. Um, the fact is we're going to be weird when we follow Jesus. Uh, and weird enough as it is, we don't have to pursue it for, for its own sake. Um, and, uh, you know, how do we think about, in the, in the context of that, how do we think about being known as people who are for things rather than against things? Um, and it's we're going to be both at the end, right? We can't we can't not be against things <laughs> uh, in our you know because we should be we should be against evil in the world, right? Um, the hard part is when we disagree, perhaps at times, with our culture about what would be right and wrong in the midst of it. Um, but how do we be for things? Um, and how do we be an inviting community? How do we? Um, you know, we live in a very um, fragmented society, society um, where communities are not easily built, um, and and they're often built around common interests. It's very easy for the church to become insular. How do we become a community that's actually uh, porous or even expansive in its loving of people? Um, thoughts? What does it look like for you guys? What have been some of the challenges? What have been some of the encouraging moments where you've seen God work through community um, as a dispersed church? Yeah, Tyler. I have two thoughts. The first one, I think the limitations in our particular circumstances are not far away from the church. So mm-hmm. I think proximity hinders to some extent just organic fellowship that would happen throughout the week. Um, so I think it, our goal is important to be yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think secondly, one of the things that I've, I've, I've seen in this church is, um, you know, kind of you see it like in the book of Acts where, like, missionaries would come back to a church and share what's going on and, you know, what, what's God doing in the surrounding regions. I think it's important like, on the side of um, mm-hmm. the kings in Austria. Like, there's just a way that we can, we see that God's working um, mm-hmm. and that kind of reorients ourselves to, like, it's, God is doing things outside of this this church. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. 
No, it's great. Thanks, Tyler. Other thoughts? Laura? What came to mind was, um, and I have an experience at this church because I haven't muted it, but when, mm. when the community would provide meals for someone who's just had a baby or mm-hmm. has been ill or something like that, I know that in previous, you know, when I've had that happen, um, like my family notices that. Mm-hmm. They're like, really? Like, really? They're bringing you dinner? How long? You know, that, you mm-hmm. know, and um, mm-hmm. it's striking. Yep. 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 And if you don't know, we actually do do that quite a bit as churches, uh, as a church, for our young moms, for people in recovering from illness. Uh, it's actually something that we work hard to provide as much as is needed and wanted. Um, and so, if you're one of those people who loves to serve in that way and you don't know about it, it's you can let Michelle know, and you can you can get on the list. So, <laughs> so um, other ways, yeah. To me, just um, for me, the most the verse that comes to mind is you know, don't let your light be under a basket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm not invested, but just you know, witnessing and going through you know, four points of salvation with mm-hmm. somebody, mm-hmm. And, and that really wouldn't be well received in my professional environment. But one thing that's very effective is just. You know, not I detect that I'm a Christian. Yeah. What I believe, and that I go yep. to church, and that I have these crazy beliefs that perhaps the other faculty don't have. But yeah. I'm not ashamed of it. And yeah. I can see over the 14 years I've been there that it's made an impact on you know on, on families and people professionally that I've been in contact with, and um, it just as a kind of a anecdote of one, one of the um, faculty who moved away uh, leaving to go to a, take a different job in California and we had been with that family for many years on holidays and stuff and it was over Thanksgiving and they asked us to pray you know, for them mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we're in their home but they know that when we're in, they're in our home we pray you know yep. so it was it was very and, and they got emotional you know they, yeah. they were you know moved and it was it was kind of interesting, you know, because I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, okay, rub a dub dub, thanks for the grub. <laughs> you know, but, but this meant a lot to them that we had these beliefs and yeah. Yeah. we were their friends and they're moving out. So I think, yeah. you know, you don't, you know, we're all humans. You don't know what impact you're having on someone, mm-hmm. you know, and you just have to be who you are yeah. and be open about who you are. I think that... Yeah. Yeah. No, I. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 And to be intentional about it mm-hmm. is a little question. Yep. To those outside of the church. Yep. 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 And we're, we're struggling. I'll just say this. Like, as a church, we're struggling to figure out how do we do this in what is functionally a more post-Christian culture. And recognizing that post-Christian is very different from non-Christian because post-Christian has... This, these like reactive sensibilities. It's like, don't force your religion on me. 
right? That that is a that is a that is a underlying assumption that you all I think live with probably every day. Like people are just assuming I have to navigate the question of how do I interact with this person and be authentic in my spiritual life and yet not somehow feel like I'm imposing on them. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, right? So it's, that's a very common thing. And I think, um, and, and I do think that there's a place for just faithful presence with openness. And then, as you're saying, Julie, uh, hospitality is a really, really wonderful gift that the Lord has given us. And for those of us who are able to do it, um, it gives it. Well, I think we're maybe all able to do it in different ways, but um, uh, but I think that uh, hospitality is a very countercultural way of loving people and creating a space for relationship that often doesn't exist in their lives. So, all right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and close this. This is a wonderful conversation. I hope it will continue. I hope it will spark thoughts of like how do you how do you do this with other people? How do how do small groups become welcoming? You know, sponges that that draw people in. You know how how do we how do we have communities where you know um, where you know my friend might not be ready to come to church, but they'd be willing to hang out on a Saturday afternoon at a barbecue with some of my friends from church. Right and like, how do I create those? How how can I be intentional about building some of those things, and yet recognizing, you know, some of us will be very gifted in evangelism and will be going for it all the time. Hey, what do you know about Jesus? Let me talk to you about. And Amen. And we should be doing that. We should be thinking and praying for those. But recognize, not all of us are gonna. It's not always gonna look like that. And this is where communal evangelism sometimes is really helpful. Right, because you get a room full of people, and you get Lorna there, and Lorna's going to share the gospel with everybody, and then the rest of us can just love people and be authentic and real, and it, it'll be a good thing. So, anyway, just to recognize, there's lots of things. I will just say, like in in closing, um, this is how I came to Christ. Um, when I was in high school, there were a couple of just a handful, two, three, uh, of my of my classmates who knew Jesus. And they were involved in a ministry. I was actually post-Christian. I was like, you guys think you're all special. And it didn't help. They posted prayer lists in their lockers. Like, we're praying for these 10 people to come to know Jesus. And I knew I was on the list. I was like, wait a minute. I was not impressed by that. I'm not sure that's a, that was a wise move on their part. But uh, the praying was good. The list was poor. Um, <laughs> But honestly, in, in the Lord's grace, I tried the party scene, and it was I just found it very empty. And the other people I had to hang out with were my high school friends or were my Christian friends. And as I hang out, hung out with them, I literally like I could tell you like I saw something in them. I could not tell you what it was. I could didn't I did not connect it to Jesus for a long time. But whatever it was, I knew they had something that I wanted to be around more. Um, and as they shared their lives with me. Um, I began to see that it came from Christ. And then, you know, and then I needed the Lord to give me C.S. Lewis, and I needed them to have actually verbally shared the gospel with me along the way as well. But, um, but there, me being brought into this community of friendship was one of the critical places, pieces of how God brought me to faith um, many years ago. So may he do it much more 
among us. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then uh, Kirsten probably will need, would maybe love a little bit of help setting up some tables, so let's pray. Lord, thanks for this morning. Lord, thanks as we gather to worship you that we recognize, Lord, how worthy you are. Lord, that it is because of your goodness and your grace and your wonder and your majesty, uh, Lord, that all of this is is, uh, worthwhile and meaningful. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. Uh, And Lord, as we gather here and as we disperse into our week, Lord, may we uh, be those who cherish uh, the worthiness of of our Savior um, in all that we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh! Next week, really quickly, Rachel Gilson, who is a supported missionary uh, who comes from a, uh, an LGBT background in her life. She came to faith out of that. She's going to do Sunday school next week on thinking biblically about um, uh, homosexuality and sexual identity. Um, she is then going to, after the service, stay for a lunch. The college lunch is inviting everyone to college lunch. Uh, so Rachel can share some, some more about how to think about engaging uh, with, uh, uh, in our culture and with, uh, with those who are struggling with same-sex attraction and other sexual identity issues. So um, wanted to let you know that. A little more explicitly, with the announcement upstairs may be a little bit less explicit, um, but um, just so we all know what we're talking about, um, this is what we're talking about next week. And then after that, four weeks with Reese Bazant, who is our friend who comes from Australia to do study leave. Uh, he teaches at a seminary there, and he's going to do four weeks on the nature of worship. And uh, look at the blurb. It looks really cool. It's like why the church is a gym and a coffee shop and a... I, don't, I can't remember, but it looks really cool. So, um, hey, Kirsten. Kirsten, can I interrupt you for a second? Would you like some people to set up some tables? Yeah, we need 15 round tables with chairs. All right. If able-bodied people could... If, so. Get those down here before the round table is in the way. All right, there we go.